Welcome to the latest episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, I got two guys joining me. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey Way with Laracast.com. And I'm Taylor Otwell. So we just got back from Laravel, uh, Laracon US. I had a week of vacation and you guys got treated to uh, the Hulk, aka Adam Wathen. Heck yeah. Uh, so I hope it wasn't... I know I've got some people talking about how great it was and how they haven't heard Taylor ever talk so much during a podcast. So now I'm feeling insecure. <laughs> so, Welcome so back. We had a, we had a week of li- yeah I know right I gotta so I gotta stop talking do better stop talking make ta- okay uh, so we just got back from week of Laracon US which was incredible and fantastic and encouraging and exciting. So I just wanted to hear. I mean I know that uh, Eric Barnes and a few other people have done some recap posts, but I wanted to hear from you guys and uh, we'll have all of us share. Uh, are there any big kind of look looking back on Laracon, any big takeaways or anything you want to reflect on or anything you want to say about just what it was like being there? Yeah, it's just all kind of a blur, really. That whole week leading up to it is just, just so busy and getting everything ready. And then it was a really great time, I think. Uh, the venue was great. We had plenty of room and space to kind of hang out and chat. Um, the stage was awesome. Um, all the little uh, the little details, I think, were really smooth this year because the, the staff at the Kentucky Center was uh, so good at running these type of events. And then all the talks were good. And one of my favorite parts, really, is just talking to everyone in the breaks because it's fun to hear what people are using the framework for, to hear that they're, they now have the opportunity to work from home and they're with their family more and they're launching some side project. And there's just lots of cool stories like that that you get to hear about anytime you're at um, – a Laracon or a code conference. Taylor, I noticed you spent a lot of the time behind the stage. Is that just something you had to do? Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, I was back there with some Kentucky Center staff and uh, we would kind of go over the upcoming schedule and then I would actually walk back under the auditorium. There's some rooms where speakers could hang out and make sure the upcoming speaker's doing okay. And, uh, and of course, reviewing my slides on the first day backstage. <laughs> the best part about that room back there was the fact that it had the um, the changing room with the lights along the side, like yeah. you're like you're an actor in a famous thing. I took pictures of that and sent it to my yeah, wife. That was awesome. That whole back room freaked me out. Actually, <laughs> I was I was the first speaker on uh, the second day, so I'm back there and I'm basically by myself, just freaking myself out because people are starting to fill out and. Uh, I don't know. I was. Do you guys ever like psych yourself out? And it's like I'm totally prepared for oh, this yeah. talk. I know what I'm talking about, but I'm still psyching myself out for absolutely no reason. And once I got on stage, I was having fun. And I just hate that initial five minutes before you go on stage. But uh, for me, like once I get out there, after 30 seconds, I'm completely comfortable. It's just the build up to that part. Yeah. But Matt, Matt, what about you? You killed it. You did a great job. And especially for your sort of talk, because, I mean, you covered a lot. It's really hard to just, I don't know, easily go from slide to slide when you're talking about so much code. So you did great. I was the, I was, mo- thank you. I was most nervous about trying to cram that much content in such a short time. And, of course, you can always say, well, I'm trying to give you a high-level overview. But if I'm giving you a high-level overview and you don't understand anything at all, it's still not, and like, oh, yeah, I got a blog post for that. There's docs for that or whatever. I feel like it was still, like, that wouldn't have been good. So I, most of my work of the couple of weeks preceding was just basically taking it and rewriting it, rewriting it so that you could get as much of each of the individual components as possible, um, even if you, you, know, you need to go back and review the slide deck later. And I feel like that went, I've gotten good feedback from that. And that was what I was most nervous about. I do know that 
I, I mentioned before that like, you know, I, I, you were talking about like how nervous do you get when you go on stage? And I was like, oh, you know, I stay the same. It, I was totally wrong. What you described your experience was exactly what mine was. The hour leading up and especially the 15 minutes and then the 10 and then the five minutes leading up where I was psyching myself out for no reason. I can do this. I've done this before. I'm ready with this talk. And then the weird thing about this one is that in conferences I've spoken at before, you're sitting and you see the whole audience and it's a small room or whatever. This was your backstage with a sound tech and you can just kind of hear people and then you hear Taylor's voice announcing you and then you walk out onto stage and it's just this like very different experience. I feel like it's what's like somebody at um the what is it the Radio City Music Hall or whatever ends up feeling like where you go from just this dark backstage and all of a sudden you're out there and there's people and lights and you're supposed to be talking like that. So I think that was both the terrifying and really cool part about it. There's just this abrupt transition and all of a sudden you're on stage talking and you're going at it. I, I had a ridiculous, like it's such a rush doing that. Like it's so it much fun. Yeah. It's very different from other uh, PHP conferences I've been to where you're sort of in a classroom and you're up, you're actually up front for a long time before your talk and people are coming in. It's a lot different uh, than that t- kind of setup. It makes me think back to like the very first Laracon we were in, I think it was the living social room, and it's just like a, a small rectangular room that we all cramped into. So to compare that to a few years later where it's like this massive room and people are bringing you bottles of water backstage and you have sound guys, it's such a difference from just a, a couple of years ago. That did pretty, feel pretty fancy. It was, it was also extremely fun hanging out with a sound guy and getting to run the soundboard for... Um for the php jeopardy that was oh, that one was of my so favorite funny. things i was crying laughing during that <laughs> with it doesn't help hurt that jeremy mccullough is hilarious yeah mcginnis shout out uh, to McGinnis. so i know <laughs> okay who is mcginnis <laughs> so oh taylor do you want to tell he was just a guy in uh, in the crowd at laricon <laughs> and i know when uh when jeremy called out names to come play jeopardy you could either pass or you could come down on stage well when he called mcginnis i believe mcginnis passed but jeremy then tossed in this aside about how he went to high school with him mcginnis and he was a great quarterback and so then for the rest of the jeopardy like anytime anyone in the audience <laughs> would say something mccola would be like mcginnis is that you or i bet mcginnis knows the answer and it was just sort of like an on an ongoing joke <laughs> Yeah, so that, that was definitely that. one of the highlights of the show. It, it's the perfect break because, you know, it's kind of hard to just sit between talk, 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 talk. So to have that middle area where everyone's just cracking up the whole time, it was it was perfect. We should have brought McGinnis on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, totally. That would have been great. Ramen McGinnis, math is, what is it, math is hard? He's he's coming on. It's going to happen. Um, I think I, I got a shout out to everybody who participated in PHP Jeopardy because being up on stage like that, I mean, uh, Aaron uh, O'Neill mentioned this when somebody asks you a question and it's not part of your prepared notes and you're the conference speaker and you know all this stuff backwards and forwards. When there's a bright lights and everybody's staring at you, you forget everything. Like, what's the command to do? I, I have no idea because you're all staring at me. It's terrifying. So to go up, not as a prepared conference speaker in that kind of overwhelming context and being willing to answer those questions, you're bold. I was so scared. I'm like, I think I, I'm okay passing because I'm the one running the soundboard. But I was just so worried. If he said my name, I, everyone would like start chanting and I'd have to go up on stage and I totally embarrassed myself. So for everybody who went up on stage... You know, power to you. You are awesome. Absolutely. I gladly admit I would have missed so many of those questions. <laughs> yeah. Some of them were just downright hard for anyone, let alone uh, just people who, you know, they probably had a, 
a variety of skill levels on stage. So yeah, it was, those were hard questions. What I was going to say a second ago, Taylor, is that you had mentioned something that I don't think I've ever ex- interacted before, even at Laracons before, which is people talking about how the opportunity to work with Laravel, and it's probably true when you go to any framework type conference like this, whatever, saying the discovering this framework and working this way has actually made a really significant change in the opportunities I have in my life. Because what you tend to think is someone's going to say, hey, I like I like writing code like this, right? This is cool. This is this. But like, I feel like the stories I heard over and over again were someone saying like my first job that I, was, I ever got that was doing the type of work I want to do was enabled by me learning Laravel or something like that. And I don't want to like hype it up too much, but that was kind of crazy, like to hear so many people say that. It seems like I heard that more than I heard anything technical from anyone. I didn't. People didn't really come up to me and say like, "Hey, I love X feature of Laravel." It was more like Laravel has enabled this in my life. I heard that a lot more than I heard anything technical. Some folks have mentioned there's a lot of soft talks at Laracon, which I really appreciated. There was a lot of fantastic ones, and I think that maybe was like a little bit of a theme of just kind of like talking about life a little more than we were just talking about code, and I, I appreciated that a lot. But there is some code we talked about, which is uh, my transition of the day. So Spark, Spark has Spark's name is out on the internet. Little, little, you know, little cell phone cam recordings on YouTube and little mentions of it rumbling. So, how much do you want to tell us about us? What do you, what do you want to say? So, of course, during my talk, I unveiled Laravel Spark, which I've been working on for probably about a month and a half at least um, up until the conference. But basically it's like a starting point for building a Laravel SaaS app. So it gives you like in Laravel 5.0, we had like the login screens built in. So it gives you that, but it gives you so much more. Like it gives you um, kind of subscription management and all that comes along with that, like updating your credit card, viewing your invoices, uh, even downloading invoices, changing plans, everything that comes along with subscriptions And then it also adds in this feature where you can have users join teams just by adding a simple trait to your code. And so users can join teams. You can send invitations and all the emails get sent out. Uh, Users can leave teams. Owners can remove team members. And so all that stuff you would have to do to kind of start a SaaS app in Laravel is scaffolded out for you. And then you can customize the front end, of course, how you want with um, CSS or edit the HTML but it gives you a good starting point for all those features. And it's amazing because if you've ever done that before, anyone listening here, if you've ever actually gone through that whole process, it's a massive amount of work. I had to do it for my site, and you just don't realize how many little things you have to think about. Everything from like the coupons to the subscription plans to, like Taylor said, the teams and being able to invite people to teams and removing people. It's a massive amount of work, and that's not even really directly related to what you're offering in your app. It's just like the initial setup you require just to get started. Um, so it's nice that it's just all wrapped up in a box, and it, it looks pretty sweet yeah i've done this several times and first of all every time it's been an absurd amount of work but additionally every time i do it it's different because you've learned a little bit or there's you know whatever and so going back to one is difficult because you can't remember how it's done differently the number of times in titan we've referred to something like a team no wait an organization no wait a group no wait a a user an account it's just because there's just no kind of consistent way to deal with this and just the same ways that like normalizing those things with database interactions or queuing or whatever was beneficial when we first started using Rails and then Laravel. I feel like I am so excited as someone who makes a lot of SaaSes that this is going to make my life so much better. And it's just like what you said, Jeffrey. It's the same thing of like, is the unique business value of my application that it has user accounts and receipts and groups and none of this stuff is unique. 
And so, but it takes a lot of work. Like it's a huge barrier to building a SaaS app. And I mean, I've got to testify, like Taylor has put a ridiculous amount of work in this. And I'm, I am so ready. Like we're in the middle of several projects right now. And we're literally reordering the priority of the work we're doing so that we can delay the user account work as long as possible. So we can use Spark on these projects when it's yeah, available. I've had so. people email me. I've gotten like five or six emails. Like I have this project. Please can I have access to Spark early? I, I don't want to wait to start it. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, people seem to be really excited about it. I'll be doing pretty much the same presentation at Laracon EU, which will be fully video recorded. So people should be able to see it just, you know, the week after the conference. Yurun told me they plan to have the videos up since they hired a professional company to do it within like two or three days of the conference. So people should be able to see oh, it great. next next week. That's awesome. I can't wait. Um, so speaking of Laracon EU, we mentioned a little bit that it's coming up. So all three of us are going to be there. Um, and uh, are you guys there for the, for the workshop days? I didn't even think to plan it. So I, I'm totally missing them. I get there. I get there at 8am that morning. Are you coming from Atlanta? Are we going to end up in the same flight? I'm, I, I fly from Little Rock to Houston and then from Houston to Amsterdam. Ah, okay. Well, we're arriving the same time. We'll buddy, buddy there. So cool. So Laracon's coming up. So Laracon EU and Laracon US, if you've never been to their websites, they're very clearly partners. And I th- think some people have a little bit of an idea that like Laracon EU is this kind of like very separate conference. And I think that we will find that there's a lot of cultural differences between both the leaders and also the Europeans versus Americans. Although it was really curious getting folks from Russia and all over the world at Laracon US. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because I feel like it's going to be like a like in a little ways it's a little bit of like a flip side of the same coin you know what did what things are the same about what people are talking about and what things are different about what people are talking about um and what kind of conversations do we have and everything so i'm actually giving a completely different talk so i have been prepping it for a while but i've been spending i spend this week basically actually creating the keynote slides and everything so is there anything in particular about laricon you you guys are thinking about or looking forward to or remembering from previous years yeah, for me, it's been a couple of years since I went. I went to the very first Laracon EU, and then I skipped the next one. So, yeah, I'm excited to see everybody again. There, it looks like there's some great talks. Um, I'll get to meet Constantine for the first time. So I've talked to him online for years. So it'll be nice to actually meet him in person and, and everybody else I haven't met. So it'll be a good time. It's amazing. It really feels like we just got done with Laracon US, and next week we're, we're going off to... Um, to Amsterdam to do it again. Yeah, it's usually a really nice conference. Sean, they do a really good job organizing it. Everything runs really smooth. Um, the speaker lineup looks really good. So I'm sure it'll be really awesome. Uh, last year was really great. And it doesn't hurt that Amsterdam and the locations that Sean chooses are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't have a family uh, that I wanted to get home to, I definitely would extend the trip by a week and just yeah, for sure. hang out there for a while. Yeah, Amsterdam is an amazing city. Like, when you hear about bikes being in Amsterdam, it's like, no, there are bicycles everywhere. There are thousands and thousands and thousands. You will see just these little hut areas where there's, like, a thousand bikes. And I, I'm still trying to figure out, like, how do you get your bike? Or is the idea you just grab a random and they're sort of, like, community bikes? I don't know how, how that works, but there's, like, a thousand right on top of each other. You'll never find your bike again if you drop it off. So I'd love to know how that works uh, if anyone's listening in. Yeah, I know that I've seen at least a little bit of stuff where people talk about, oh, well, you know, Amsterdam's a super bike-friendly city, but not everyone can do it. And I've seen some pictures comparing what street layouts look like prior to their big shift. I guess it was in the 70s or the 80s or something like that when they really said we were going to become a bike-friendly city. And I can't even imagine what the cost must have been. But if you just visit the city and you just see the experience of what it's like to just deprioritize cars and really step up the importance of walking and, and biking, especially 
in like a in a context like this where it's you know like it's an urban center where people want to be going around like cars are not particularly useful in urban centers anywhere so it's a really cool experience kind of seeing what they've done with the city okay well i um i'm gonna be i'm gonna be selfish and i have three things that i want to talk about um but i, I want to get y'all's feedback if there is any because i actually ha- actually haven't asked either of you about any of these but i want to throw them out here real quick just because i realized i haven't talked about them so i have two free projects um that i created and one that i've gotten a lot of help with one that was just me that are focused on the um, the gist world. So GitHub gists let you set up like a basically a single kind of file rather than a full repo, it's a single file. So gist log, which is G-I-S-T-L-O-G.co, lets you use gists to blog. Both of these are free. Both are in Laravel, both totally open source. Um, gist log lets you write blog posts using gist, so you own the content, um, but it's a nice presentation layer on top of it. And then when we started using Gists to blog, we realized that you don't get notified when somebody comments on Gists, which is really irritating. So I wrote Giscus or Giscus. I wrote it and I still don't know how to pronounce the name, (laughs) 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 which literally um, just basically you authenticate it with it and it uses your GitHub API token to pull all your Gists, pull all your comments and notify you about any new comments. And it does it once an hour. And it's uh, Titans covering the costs except for the server and DigitalOcean's covering the cost of the server. So it's a free free tool to hopefully kind of just meet a gap in the GitHub world. Um, so those are something that I, I think you love. Uh, Giscus or Giscus or whatever is G-I-S-C-U-S dot C-O. So I don't know if there's any feedback to ask for you two on, but uh, is there anything you want to say? I, I think it's great. I, I think it's sad that you had to build Giscus because it's like, <laughs> shouldn't that just be a thing, right? It's so cool that you built it, but it's like, man... Shouldn't GitHub have that feature by now? I mean, how often have we been complaining about that, like, for years? So uh, yeah. on the bright side, I- I'm very glad you made that because, like, so often I'll ask questions, and unless you return there, you're never going to see a reply. Yep. And most of the time we just forget, and there can be these whole conversations going on that you have no clue about. Yeah, you might show up six months later and go, yeah, oh, and like, wow. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love how GistLog looks. Like, it's just such a pretty uh, presentation on top of Gist. It reminds me a lot of kind of that uh, medium style blog, you know, like the typography and stuff. So, and I always really liked that presentation as well. So I think it looks really cool. Well, thanks. I I, I came up with the idea and in the initial implementation for Gistlog, but Adam Wathen's the one who brought those styles in. And I know he was heavily influenced by medium. So it's just kind of like, look, it's a good look, but medium is like the total opposite direction, right? You get this beautiful view, but you're putting their content on their servers and they own it and it's their domain name. This is a total opposite. You own it and it's just a nice presentation layer. And the initial impetus was I was so tired of trying to read gist, gist blogs on my phone because the gist UI doesn't, isn't responsive. So you're like pinching and zooming these huge technical articles and everything. Adam, I'm curious, like Gistlog, is that under the Titan brand? Or is this kind um, so of like a Matt Stauffer side project? I, How does that work? All of these projects are kind of just a little bit of both. I've started moving all the stuff I do in the side under Titan because I am Titan and I get the Titan folks to help me out. So why not just make them all under the Titan brand? But it's the vast majority of them are me. They they all kind of laugh at me. I've just got like an idea every day of like, oh, it'd be really cool if we did this and I have to only do some of them. So if I put it under Titan, I think I can both justify it a little bit, but also I can get other Titan developers help a little bit more easily versus a Matt Stauffer thing. So it's six of one, half dozen of another, but I think all of them will eventually just move under over under Titan just for ease of remembering where they live. Nice. 
So speaking of another Matt Stauffer project that will probably move over in Titan, the other thing I wanted to talk about, there's been there's a project I did a year ago um, that has just gotten some rumbles recently, and it's cool because I was actually just thinking about it. So I built a project called Illuminate Non-Laravel, um, and it's basically trying to bring the, the Laravel Illuminate components outside and show what it looks like to use them outside of the Laravel world. And I did it with Laravel 4.2 because as of 4.3, the components started relying a lot more heavily on um, Symfony's HTTP foundation. So I was like, look, this initial pitch is going to be for CodeIgniter users who don't have HTTP foundation available to use these components. And a lot of people have been interested in it. And I think that it'd be nice to see something past 4.2. So what I've been thinking, and I want to hear hear your guys' thoughts on this, is I split off the 4.2 and archive it so that people can still access it. And I create a new branch that's doing 5.1 LTS, right? So it's going to be around for a while and show what it looks like for any HTTP foundation-based tool to use these these Laravel components and just do the same thing I did there. Yeah, that's a pretty cool project. A lot of times the main components people like to pull in are like database, uh, container, may, maybe routing. And I think one that w- would gain more traction if it was more obvious how to use on its own would probably be Q. Yeah, being able to pull in Q, I, I, I used on, on another thing, I used database, cache, Q, config and session um, on, a, on a CodeIgniter project. And just being able to extract CodeIgniter's native implementation of those things out of the project was just such a huge help. And that actually, that's a, I'm glad you said that. So there's been some conversations around about people who are starting to appreciate that uh, Laravel's IOC container is actually a really great tool whether or not using it in Laravel. I, I have to admit, I don't know nearly as much about the folks who are having these conversations about the values of one IOC container versus another. I haven't you know, been comparing this versus pimple versus whatever else. Could either of you speak to what makes a good IOC container in general? So about four or five years ago, I I wrote the Laravel IOC container for CodeIgniter, and it was called CI Inject or Synject or something like that. And that was in 2010. And when I wrote that, that was the first time I had ever seen a like a reflection-based IOC container at PHP. Because like Pimple, for example, you define a service and you have to give it a closure that that hands you back that service. But with Laravel's container, with containers that have come along since then that are kind of like that, you can just ask for a class and it will use reflection to say, okay, what does this class need? And it will try to inject that in and it will do that recursively. So if those dependencies need anything, it will inject those in. And that's that makes the container really convenient because you can resolve out a bunch of stuff with very little configuration or you can just do very minimal configuration where you say, when you need this interface, use this implementation. I don't actually have to like hardwire every single dependency. And that's pretty sweet because then if your implementation changes, you just swap that out in the container and all your code basically stays the same. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've needed to do that, you realize how nice that can be. I've hit that situation a few times um, where I wanted to swap out an implementation and it's actually really handy. Um, so for me, a container, what makes a good container is it's just, um, it's, it's sort of like serves your project and sort of, instead of always being in your face. So I'm not having to spend like 500 lines of configuration. It's just something that's in the background, but that's giving me a lot of value because it's injecting all these dependencies that I don't even really have to think about. So anytime you type in something in a Laravel controller, boom, it's just automatically there and you just kind of take it for granted. I mean, you didn't even really have to do anything. It just kind of comes for free. And I think that's really the the convenient thing about the container is just how easy it is to use. Yeah, same for me. Like you said, we take it for granted. But I remember when when you were 
working on Laravel 4 and I found out about this whole reflection stuff in your controllers, it was like my brain blew because I hadn't really experienced anything like that. And I know some people aren't big fans of that. They're, they think it's magic. I don't care. I think it's amazing. And I, I love that. Uh, it was definitely one of like the, the selling features for me with Laravel. And if anyone's listening, like go into the container class and just figure it's It's pretty complicated stuff, but you can kind of go through it and figure out how all of this stuff connects and figure out like if, if you reference a concrete class, will it know what to do? Or if you reference an interface. And it, it's really a good educational tool to figure out how all of this stuff works behind the scenes, if you're interested. Otherwise, just, just use it and it'll work perfectly. And I've, I've always thought that when someone talks about auto wiring in a container, what they mean is that using reflection versus each one having to be manually kind of taught how to, to resolve. Is that what that means when someone says auto wiring? Yeah, I think so. Some containers, I mean, uh, most containers now do auto wiring that I've seen. So that's actually pretty common. But some containers like Pimple still are sort of hardwired where everything has to be defined manually. Yeah, I, I agree with Jeffrey. The idea that on any particular thing that's resolved out of the IOC, you can just type in something and just get it injected by default. Again, you can always come in and choose that you don't do that and you only do it manually. But the fact that that's available to you to inject services and repositories and everything is just so so hugely yeah, helpful. And when so. I came to PHP, I had never seen anything but an auto-wired container. So I didn't know there was any such thing as containers that you actually have to hardwire up manually because that would have defeated the whole purpose for me, really. So I just kind of took it for granted that all containers had always done auto wiring because that's what I had seen. And so that's what I built in PHP to begin with. Cool. So I got, I have one last question. I didn't prepare you both for, um, but our, our fun question of the day is what's your favorite vice? And I, I asked this because <laughs> in, in, in Louisville, I both discovered that they make amazing bourbon unsurprisingly, but also one of the best coffee shops I've ever been to in my entire life within walking distance of the venue and I was just thinking about my vices, and and uh, I, I was curious of of either your vices or vices that you don't particularly have, but you like to appreciate from afar. What's your favorite? Oh God, you put us right on the spot. I know, no I warning feel like or mine anything. Mine is so tame. Like for me, I just really enjoy. I'm on a I'm on like a big diet right now, but I just really enjoy like an ice cold Coca Cola, just like a classic Coke. It's just like my favorite guilty pleasure. Just tastes so good. Yep, yep. Okay, what about mine? Um, I'm going to sound terrible here. Mine is, okay, I used to think wine was really gross, right? Basically, everyone who's a teenager doesn't like wine. And then I tasted it, and I was like, okay, it's fine, but who spends a lot of money on this? And then one day, I had a really good bottle of wine, and it changed everything for me. Like, if you ever just have a delicious bottle of wine, you suddenly understand why people spend more on it. And the hard thing with that is, like, you can spend $50 on a bottle of wine, and it may not taste as good as the $2 you get. It just depends mm -hmm. on where it's made and all of that stuff. But if you just ever have a delicious bottle of wine, uh, you'll be addicted. What would you say is the kind of, what's the bottom price range for that kind of life-changing wine? I mean, how much are we talking about? That's the thing. <laughs> it's it's the weird thing because there's no consistency whatsoever. Like they, um, if anyone has uh, Trader Joe's where they live, they have this thing called Two Buck Chuck, which is like uh, wineries that have closed down and they just sell them to Trader Joe's. They uh, put their own label on it and they sell it for two bucks. Sometimes you will find amazing wine there. And then other times, like I've splurged on a holiday and spent, 50 or 60 bucks on a bottle of wine, and we didn't think it was good. There's no consistency whatsoever. So you have to be careful and just don't waste your money. But every once in a while, you luck out. My wife's rule is if it's got a spin-off top instead of a cork, it's too cheap to drink. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Which is funny because she likes Riesling, as do I, and they all have spinoff tops. But I think once you get outside of like the, the dessert wines. So my, let's see, my, I, I, it's funny because I asked the question and once again, I don't have an answer. And I'm thinking I like beer. I like wine. I like small amounts of good liquor. And I really like coffee. So if I were to have to pick one and I have to, to let all the others go, I think it would have to be coffee. Um, yeah, it would definitely have to be coffee. So my favorite vice, while I like the others, my favorite vice is definitely coffee. And it's just such a broad range. Like there's so much you can do. And as I understand it, Taylor does not drink coffee. No, I, I hate, I don't like the taste of coffee, but I'm weirdly obsessed with the process of how coffee is made. So we had been talking for ages that when we went to Laracon US, I was going to take oh. you to a fancy coffee shop and have you try the type of coffee yeah. I drink. And there was a fancy coffee shop and yeah, we, we didn't totally do forgot. this. We might be able to do that in Amsterdam though. There's got to be a fancy place. By the way, I got to shout out that place. It's called, I. it's a Greek word and I don't know Greek, so I'm just going to massacre it. It's Sonergos maybe, S-U-N-E-R-G-O-S. That's the place in Louisville, and it was just absolutely incredible. Like, just really consistently good stuff. Is that the really place that was a block or two from the venue? Yep, yeah, I was talking exactly. to Rebecca from Userscape, and she was saying, you got to go. And I just never yeah. had a chance to, because there was a Starbucks across the street, and she's like, no, go to this other one. And yeah. I just didn't have enough time, but um, I'm sorry I missed so- it. Shauna Gordon, we were walking, uh, I, I happened to run into her the first day when I was walking over and she's two blocks from the thing and just walked the two blocks over with me and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get some coffee. She's like, you got to check out this little place. And I didn't know whether or not she's a coffee geek and often someone's like, oh yeah, I found this little coffee shop. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I'm like my condescending coffee geek self because I'm a jerk. And and she was like, no, you got to check it out. It's worth it. And we walk into that place and the guy was wearing a t-shirt from my favorite rap label and they had all the things in the walls that showed they made the type of coffee. And I'm like, starting to get excited. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And I tasted it. It was, it, I'm talking like it compared very favorably to coffee I get in San Francisco that I get in Chicago. I mean, it was really, really good stuff. So, and I'm on their website and it says America's best espresso competition, first place 2013 to 2014. So clearly oh, wow. this is a recognized thing. So, uh, all right, guys. Well, it's it good to talk to you as always. And uh, listeners, uh, we'll, we'll check back in with you after Laracon EU. So take care. Bye.